Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Change Before Change podcast, a podcast produced by ASARA, a digital forward market access agency that designs innovative solutions that enable transformative market access. The Change Before Change podcast will look to highlight and address new technologies and innovations that will impact our healthcare ecosystem. We will be assessing health economic patterns, discussing market access trends, and providing global perspective on healthcare issues and use. I'm your host, Fadi Manuel, and I will be interviewing thought leaders and experts in the pharmaceutical and healthcare industry to uncover and understand the ever-evolving global health landscape. On today's episode, we will be discussing specialty pharmacy, which is a rapidly growing and evolving field of pharmacy due to a continuous pipeline of costly and complex therapies that require high-touch care to maximize clinical, humanistic, and economic outcomes for patients and stakeholders. These stakeholders include payers who aim to ensure access to medications that fill unmet needs, manage their usage due to high cost, and strive to maximize the value for the significant expenditure associated with these drugs. Additionally, manufacturers are also concerned with ensuring the most appropriate delivery model for these medications and may select or establish parameters which guide the operations and clinical support a pharmacy would provide when dispensing these medications to patients. Given these complexities and efficiencies in vertical integration, the specialty pharmacy market has been mostly dominated by payer-owned pharmacies, with CVS and Cigna making up over 50% of the market share and accounting for over $100 billion in revenue in 2022. Despite the payer-dominated landscape, health systems have been increasing their specialty pharmacy footprint. Health system specialty pharmacies, also known as HSSP, are building integrated systems that utilize specialty pharmacists and electronic medical records to support patient care and improve patient outcomes. HSSPs will be the focus of our episode today as they are expected to capture more than 25% of the specialty pharmacy market by 2025 through offering a more efficient and effective care model for patients. We hope you find this discussion informative and thought-provoking. Enjoy. I'm very excited by the growth of specialty pharmacy. So Ruchik, if you could please start us off by providing a brief introduction about yourself and your role at ASARA, and then discussing with us the role of the specialty pharmacist within the patient care continuum. Sure thing, Fadi, and uh, thank you for having me. So my name is Ruchik Patel. I'm an associate director with ASARA. Uh, what we do is we provide best-in-class strategic management consulting to our clients in the biopharma space, and my experience uh, consists of playing both business development roles as well as clinical pharmacist roles in health system specialty pharmacy, um, business development with the University of Illinois Chicago, and then clinical pharmacy with Northwestern Medicine. And Father, you mentioned before health system specialty pharmacy as HSSP. That doesn't quite roll off the tongue, does it? So um, that's where I was working prior at health system specialty pharmacy. And then prior to that, where I've received my training was at an ASHP AMCP accredited residency program with CVS Health. So it was a focus on managed care and the payer space as well as specialty innovation and pushing, pushing the dial on the specialty pharmacy delivery model uh, within CVS Health. So uh, thank you, Fadi. I think you did a great job summarizing the overall specialty pharmacy landscape and touching on the utility of specialty pharmacy if it's maintained within the health system, you know, using the words care continuum. I'm uh, I'm happy to to kind of further elaborate and to speak on the role of specialty pharmacists within that patient care continuum. Um, but before we get into that, I do think we should still touch on which health system specialty pharmacies can be considered 
HSSP per se, since health systems have several options to pursue when they're establishing these services, these specialty pharmacy services. Um, to start, a health system could partner externally or simply refer patients to external pharmacies. So for example, a large chain specialty pharmacy that mails nationwide, they might just refer patients there. Alternatively, a health system can internally develop and build their own specialty pharmacy. So this would usually be a function of its pharmacy department or enterprise. And then another alternative that we're seeing more and more is the health system or hospital might partner with what's called a specialty pharmacy accelerator. And these are large national companies that partner with the system to capture specialty pharmacy prescriptions and provide pharmacy services internally to the providers and patients. The partnered companies or the accelerators provide all that back-end administrative support, such as contracting, accreditation work, managing those, managing staffing, performance. Um, and then there's usually a revenue share agreement between the accelerator and the health system as well to kind of recoup the costs of implementing um, a, a high-powered um, operation. And then again, to touch on, these companies have national reach, and sometimes they can actually be partnered with hundreds of health systems or hospitals at a time. Now, Within these settings, so if the health system has its own specialty pharmacy or they would partner with an accelerator, in these settings, the specialty pharmacist is often integrated into a clinic, usually a specialty clinic. This enables that pharmacist to impact therapy selection, manage access to therapy, and provide longer-term holistic medication management support to both the patient and the broader care team. They're sort of a subject matter expert that the care team can rely on. Um, additionally, the care plans or sort of the blueprints for how the care is delivered. So the patient management plans that are used to outline like the structure, cadence of engagements and points to assess on clinical assessments. They're all usually governed or managed at an administrative level by either the pharmacy enterprise or the pharmacy accelerator. And that what that accomplishes, it ensures consistency or at least a very minimum standard of performance for larger operations that may have multiple pharmacists. That way, the, the minimum of care that's delivered to patients and provided services provided to providers is, is standardized. And then a lot of times, like those minimum standards are actually driven by accreditation requirements within that industry. So specialty pharmacy accreditation requirements. So... You touched on kind of the, the the growth, the layout. We talked a little bit about how these um, health systems can prop up the services and then a little bit of how the specialty pharmacists is integrated into the clinics. Uh, in addition to some of those clinical aspects of the role, the pharmacists are also critical in understanding the reimbursement landscape and other challenges associated with medication access. And then in order to pull all of this together to fulfill these needs, um, the specialty pharmacy workflow typically inserts the pharmacist into the care team. And the way that they accomplish the care is they have high frequency or very, very frequent one-on-one -on -one touch points with the patients. These touch points are going to be more frequent than the patient would have with their physician, especially if they're a specialist physician. And then within these touch points, the patients, sorry, the pharmacists rather are engaging with and building a relationship with the patient. So they're engaging and encountering these patients very frequently, more frequently than providers, and they're building these relationships. And also at the same time, kind of assessing how the patients are doing on their journey, be it with one therapy or multiple or through different therapies, right? While trying to manage their um, condition or try to best manage their condition. Through these engagements, the pharmacist performing like those clinical or holistic assessments. And um, their goal, of course, is to achieve optimal outcomes or do the best they can by the patient, for the patient, and also for the providers who are sort of leading the team on those care plans. Some of the conditions, some of the considerations might just be, you know, simple proper use of the medication. But sometimes these these pharmacist engagements can really get into 
the challenges that the patients are encountering and, and helping them navigate the complex landscape. So it could be something as, as um, detailed or, or involved as identifying that the patients are adversely um, affected by social determinants of health, right? They have poor access to nutrition or transportation and then, and then problem solving and supporting the patient through kind of trying to reduce those barriers, which may involve them kind of working with other aspects of the health system or external partners to ensure that that's a limited challenge to the patient. So there's that clinical piece around medication therapy. There's the simple standard minimum of counseling and ensuring patients know how to take the, the, the treatments, but also it can get more involved in it because of this high frequency touch points with the patients. And then just one other thing to touch on here is that since the health system specialty pharmacy operations are typically a shared service, this work is performed consistently through the lifetime of a patient's relationship with the health system or hospital. And then to support that, the critical information is captured or documented diligently in the electronic medical record. It's something you shared that is foundational to health system specialty pharmacies. And then for some instances, for example, if they're partnered with the system or hospitals partner with an accelerator, they may have an external or an additional case management system that's solely designed to really record all this information and, and, and drive the operation. And that could, that's usually a rich source of information that helps the special, specialty pharmacist stay on top of the entire patient management program for the patient and conduct and record interventions and such. That way the care is consistent through the lifetime of that patient's relationship with the health system or hospital. But I think I've touched on the role at a super high level, but I think to better speak to like the daily role and responsibilities of the specialty pharmacist, I would like to introduce our guest, a former colleague of mine, Dr. Sonali Patel, to shed light on the day-to-day -day of a specialty pharmacist. So Sonali, would you briefly introduce yourself and tell us more about the role of a specialty pharmacist? Yes. Thank you so much, Rishik, for having me. Um, I am a specialty pharmacist that covers hepatitis C as well as preventive cardiology. After pharmacy school, I completed uh, residency training and then have been in practice uh, since then for about five years. Um, I am triple board certified in pharmacotherapy, cardiology, and ambulatory care, as well as a certified lipid specialist. And I really think that specialty pharmacies are you know, increasingly important, especially in the healthcare system. And as specialty pharmacists, we really serve as a bridge between providers and patients. We're the first and most frequent contact for these patients. And for example, in my role um, as a hepatitis C specialty pharmacist, I'll receive a message to start treatment for a patient. Not only will I review their pertinent clinical information, um, as well as drug interactions, but also other things such as transportation issues, financial issues, insurance coverage, other social determinants of health. And choosing a treatment regimen is not only that's like efficacious and safe, but also easy for the patient to use, for the patient to actually start and continue on that medication. And then, of course, our pharmacy technicians will obtain approval and financial assistance if needed. And then it'll come back to the specialty pharmacist to do the initial counseling as well as the monitoring. And this is not really in terms of just the medication, but more so as a disease state as a whole. So, of course, we'll you know go over medication administration, drug interaction, side effects, but I'll also intervene on things such as cancer screening or vaccinations that are important to their whole disease states. And what you mentioned before is really key, is these frequent touch points. So once a patient does start on therapy, 
I'll call them within one week and then monthly on their feed. And because of this, we build a really strong relationship. And therefore, the specialty pharmacist is usually the first one to know if there's any changes in their health status, their social status, any financial hurdles. And then we're also able to intervene sooner, whether that be able to provide resources for the patient or link them to the provider. Um, but those frequent touch points, as you mentioned, are really, really key. So Sonali has mentioned multiple complex and dynamic processes that are observed within the patient care continuum. Ruchik, when it comes to specialty pharmacists, what are the challenges that they're facing as they're attempting to provide a high quality of care for the patients? Sure, Fadi. So I can speak to the challenges that health system specialty pharmacies are facing. Now, there's a large number of external threats and challenges. However, it's my opinion that the underlying is that there's a challenge in speaking to the value of the specialty pharmacy services or the operation as a whole. So what I really mean by this is demonstrating the value and speaking to that value story through data. And what this value is, is the value that's provided back to external stakeholders. So the ones you mentioned earlier, right? The to, or to restate the payers and manufacturers. So there's a challenge in articulating and demonstrating the value through data to these external stakeholders. And the reason this is an important challenge is that these external stakeholders, since their strategies through either carving out a pharmacy network or a specialty pharmacy network or electing a limited distribution pharmacy network from a manufacturer standpoint, these might limit or may limit a patient's freedom to stay within the care continuum of a single health system or hospital. And that might hinder the overall impact that the health system specialty pharmacy can deliver to a patient and provider. And then remember, since there is still a, a challenge in articulating or demonstrating that value, it's, it's hindering an overall hypothesized impact that that health system specialty pharmacy has. So Again, what is this impact? I mean, we spoke to the operation and role of a pharmacist, and we can, again, keep hypothesizing this value, but actually telling the story through meaningful data points and demonstrating a change in those between one delivery model and the other is where the challenge lies for most health system specialty pharmacies, demonstrating that clinical value, demonstrating the economic value and the impact on humanistic outcomes. So as the health system specialty pharmacy channel positively impacting clinical outcomes? Is there a measurable difference to alternative channels? Similarly, is the patient or payer's overall economic outcomes impacted? Is the care delivered at a cost-effective rate? Are overall costs or healthcare utilization reduced through efficient management of that patient's therapy? Or from a humanistic perspective, what is the impact on the patient experience or quality of life? Are the holistic interventions such as providing literacy-sensitive education, right, screening for literacy and then providing appropriate education or addressing social determinants of health, able to impact clinical outcomes, able to impact economic outcomes. And then some other aspects that could be measured and better understood is, was the patient involved in shared decision-making? And how did that influence overall success or that patient's journey uh, on better managing their, their, their disease? So these are some of the challenges, but I think this is the forefront challenge that specialty pharmacy, more specifically health system specialty pharmacy, is currently facing. So Richard, I just want to focus on that value communication element, given that you've emphasized how vital it is. Could you kind of discuss or mention anything that health system pharmacies or pharmacists in specific are doing to address these challenges? Sure, sure. And health systems are very aware 
of these challenges that their specialty pharmacies are facing. So health system specialty pharmacies and actually specialty pharmacy accelerators too, and sometimes integrated delivery networks with embedded specialty pharmacies have propped up outcomes research teams or research forces to drive research to support these value statements. And these teams, some of their work, for example, have resulted in blueprints for implementing health systems off the ground quickly that new systems are looking to use, or they may have informed accreditation standards, sort of the, the bar that is set for health system specialty pharmacies um, as a whole. Um, other research outputs from these teams have bolstered literature and generated meaningful research that can fill that could fill evidence gaps or research needs in order to better support evidence-based medicine. Or in other words, research out of these teams can and have informed guidelines on the practice of medicine. So although it's not a novel idea, health system specialty pharmacies could be a potential area ripe with access to information to fill data gaps identified by manufacturers and payers in a real-world setting such as real-world uh, evidence on effectiveness, safety, outcomes associated with the use of specialty medications or that receiving care through a special health system specialty pharmacy. Um, and then these research efforts can, can be leveraged to better understand how care is delivered and the value of that delivery through health system specialty pharmacy, if possible, against uh, alternatives or alternative channels. Thank you for that thorough response, Ruchek. So now, could you provide us with some examples that you've come across in your practice? This happens, you know, every day because specialty pharmacists um, really have the expertise and the credibility with the care team. That care team does look to the specialty pharmacist for guidance. Many times patients will have limited treatment options based on a number of factors. And therefore, I may recommend something that's off-label, completely experimental. And I, as the specialty pharmacist, is really leading these discussions and these conversations with not only the provider, but the patient themselves. And so therefore, we're able to function you know, at the highest level at the top of our license. For example, when I think about my hepatitis C practice, there are times when patients may have failed you know, the first-line treatment options. They're not a transplant candidate, but they still have active hepatitis C. And certain medications, because they're decompensated cirrhotic patients, it's not recommended because there's a risk of adverse reactions. However, because they have no other treatment options, I may still recommend using those therapies as long as we monitor them closely. And this is not something that has been studied in large clinical trials or was even you know, originally in the clinical guidelines. But because you know, I am the hepatitis C pharmacist for our health system, these are scenarios I see all the time. And I've had success with these um, situations. And therefore, I was able to write them up and publish um, you know, in prestigious journals that actually made the national guidelines. And this was real-world evidence, things that were practice-changing, things that would never be studied in large clinical trials, but things that get asked every single day. This is also kind of similar to um, you know, using certain antiviral therapies when patients are on certain anti-epileptic um, medications that are enzyme-inducing. The recommendation is that certain antivirals should not be used with some of these medications because their efficacy can be decreased by decreasing um, their concentrations. But if you have a patient that's very stable on an anti-seizure medication and we run the risk of them having a breakthrough seizure, 
or side effects with other therapies, the neurologist or the patient themselves may not want to change their seizure medication. So how do we cure their hepatitis C, but also continue with this anti-seizure medication? We kind of work off-label, experimental, again, in a way. So again, these are things that you know I've seen in clinical practice over and over again, have been able to publish and have been able to change um, you know, clinical practice because of this um, experience being a specialty pharmacist um, servicing these very specialized patients. That's very interesting. I would love to hear more about uh, the recent literature that you mentioned that you published. So if you could just take a minute or two just to kind of share the re- your findings from that research. So I think, you know, one example is um, using a protease inhibitor regimen and antiviral therapy for hepatitis C um, that is actually not recommended in people that have decompensated cirrhosis because there's a risk of adverse reactions. There's a risk that that protease inhibitor's concentration can increase in decompensated cirrhosis. But we've had a handful of patients that I've personally seen that are not transplant candidates, but we really do need to treat their hepatitis C. So maybe we can actually improve outcomes, maybe get them to transplant sooner and kind of let them live, you know, before, um, you know, before they further decompensate. Um, so we don't have any clinical trials for those patients. And in those settings, I recommended using a protease inhibitor um, because they did fill other treatment options. And in those patients, of course, you know, monitor them very closely, explain the risks and benefits, not only with the provider, but the patient themselves. Um, and we were able to cure all of those patients. And therefore, those patients clear their hepatitis C. And if we didn't use this off-label regimen, they would have had active hepatitis C. It would have never been cured. Um, so this was, uh, you know, um, a paper that was published. It made the AASLD IDSA guidelines. And, you know, I've gotten frequent communication from providers all over the nation saying, well, how is your experience with these patients? Because this is something that we run into every day, but there's no data to support it. So can you give me more information? And we really appreciated, um, you know, the paper you wrote because it has been practice changing um, in, in our institution. And we'll have those papers in the descriptions. Thank you for sharing that, Sonali. I want to kind of discuss further in terms of the significance of generating evidence in the specialty pharmacy setting. So, Richard, could you potentially speak on that a bit? Well, I think Sonali and, and yourself, Fadi, actually set us set us up well for thinking through this. So, Fadi, you touched on just the growth of specialty pharmacy as a whole, and more specifically, health system pharmacy, or sorry, health system specialty pharmacy. And with that rampant growth and, and, and kind of budding growth and innovations in the practice and delivery of the care through these health system specialty pharmacy settings, there's an area that's ripe for collaboration and insights and better understanding what the patient journey and experience could look like. And then Sonali shared with us successes of measuring outcomes and tracking and then publishing those findings to inform pharmacotherapy and the practice of medicine. So combining that with the growth of specialty pharmacy, this is an area that's ripe for really vetting through and understanding what can we learn from this practice model? What can we learn from here? What can we measure here to bolster the literature and better understand how to better serve patients and providers? I think we should definitely stress on the operation of the health system specialty pharmacy. And more importantly, that engagement that those pharmacists are having with patients suffering from rare chronic conditions, remembering that these are very frequent, in-depth touch points with patients. 
And speaking from our specialty pharmacy experience, these engagements should be leveraged to generate unique or rather hard to gather insights on the patient journey through the care continuum. And the health system specialty pharmacies have mutual interest, going back to that value story that's a challenge, a forefront challenge for health system specialty pharmacies. They have a mutual interest and they have the technical capabilities to measure these outcomes. So these can be, and they can be professionally assessed. So it could be clinical outcomes identified and reported by a pharmacist. It could be patient reported outcomes collected on those engagements. It could be really whatever we can think of that could be a meaningful, impactful measure, leveraging that high frequency touch point that the pharmacists are having with these patients. So collaborations, I think, is where we can pull the most out of this setting where measurements have not been done that well. So I think collaborations can accelerate filling these critical evidence gaps or practice gaps in the purview of HUR, real-world evidence uh, functions for a manufacturer. Thank you very much, Ruchek. Sonali, I want to give you the floor for the kind of last minute or two. Uh, first, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on as a guest. I think you provided us with some wonderful insight, but I just kind of want to get your thought process on any potential gaps or opportunities that we may have not covered in our limited time today in specialty pharmacy that pharma should turn its attention to? Thank you so much, Fadi, for having me. Um, you know, it, it's really been an honor to speak about specialty pharmacists. And I, I think this is really a growing field. Specialty pharmacies really have the knowledge, the credibility and motivation. And right now in practice, you know, we really just know that this is the right therapy for the patient. And then this is what works. But I think having collaboration with the pharmaceutical industry is really, really key because what we need help is identifying outcomes of measure that would be um, important, you know, not just for hospital leadership, but from the payer standpoint and patient outcome standpoint as well. And not only identifying outcomes of interest, but also how to pull those outcomes. Because in my day-to-day -day right now, you know, we don't have the time or the resources to create these tools for extracting these um, data points and also validating them. And so I really think, you know, an ongoing collaboration with the specialty pharmacists and the pharmaceutical industry would really be key because not only can we justify more specialty pharmacist positions, but we can better the health of patients, we can better strengthen the health system and really better understand, you know, what payers are looking for. Um, and, you know, patient-specific outcomes as well. I'd like to add at Asara, we are empowered through our experience with health system specialty pharmacies, specialty pharmacy accelerators, and, and other specialty pharmacy solutions such as networks and software providers. And then with our pharma DNA and critical functions such as HOR, RWE, and market access to not just connect these dots, but to foster those innovative collaborative efforts for our clients to accelerate the development and utilization of insightful measures such as patient-reported experiences and patient-reported outcome measures in an efficient, cost-effective method and from a real-world standpoint. So ultimately, these alternative solutions that ASARA could lead development for, for our clients, can impact and inform feasibility and prioritization. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We hope you found this information timely and informative. And as always, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoy the show. This has been your host, Fadi Manuel, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.